What is globalization? What role does it play in our lives? What contradictions does it hold in store for us? And what can we actually learn from a closer look at the processes of globalization? For example, in terms of how we deal with these contradictions. These are some of the questions we will explore in this podcast, approaching them from various perspectives and using different examples. Today, we delve into late 19th century London, where a businessman attempts to send a telegram from London to Calcutta late at night. As we follow him through the city's telegraph offices, we witness his repeated rejections and referrals, which increasingly frustrate him. In 1870, could it truly be so difficult to telegraph from London to Calcutta at 10 p.m.? While it may seem like a trivial issue, it serves as a starting point for us to deeply explore the history of globalization. The telegraph was a key technology of the 19th century and central to the surge of globalization that swept the world during that period. So, there's a lot to learn about the nature and quality of globalization processes from the example of the telegraph. Welcome to Global Disconnect, the podcast that unravels the intricate connections and disconnections shaping our world. Join us as we explore the multifaceted dimensions of globalization beyond traditional narratives, from the spread of ideas to the experiences of individuals living between cultures. We delve into the social significance of these global processes. Get ready to challenge your perspectives and uncover the true complexity of our interconnected world. Globalization is not just a phenomenon of our present day. For example, the second half of the 19th century was when the world's interconnectedness accelerated and intensified considerably. Between about 1850 and the outbreak of World War I, the world, or at least large parts of it, moved much closer together. People, goods, and also news moved faster and more cost-effectively over ever greater distances. A completely new technology played an essential role in this at the time, the telegraph. Today's episode is about the compression and the moving closer together that the telegraph made possible. But not only about that. We also shed light on the other part of the story. We also look at the connection difficulties the many interruptions and detours that were the order of the day. We tell about the fact that the moving together of some regions also meant a drifting apart of other areas. And we look at some of those aspects that didn't really shrink. Let's go back to London in 1870. On a December morning of that year, an anonymous letter to the editor appeared in the Times of London, a widely read and influential daily newspaper in Great Britain to this day. In it, the unknown author, obviously a businessman, complains bitterly about what he had to endure when he tried to send a telegram from London to Calcutta one night. The letter to the editor begins with a terse and, for that very reason, astonishing sentence. I had occasion to telegraph to Calcutta between 9 and 10 in the evening. The author obviously found nothing special about wanting to send a message to Calcutta, now Kolkata in India several thousand kilometers away, long after the office had closed one late evening in 1870. For him, this was a perfectly normal request. He was all the more irritated when he reported on the various obstacles he encountered, unclear responsibilities, overburdened telegraph operators, and interrupted lines. 
I confess I thought it odd that in the centre of the heart of the British Empire, a man should thus be sent from pillar to post, according to the hours of the night, in order to find the right end of the electric wire, which is now the very nerve of the social body. Even from these short passages, it is immediately apparent that our letter writer took his request for granted. This is quite remarkable. In 1870, the worldwide telegraph network had just taken shape. Only five years earlier, exchanging telegrams between Great Britain and India had become possible. Land lines led across the European continent and the Ottoman Empire to the Persian Gulf, from where submarine cables eventually reached further to Karachi. This connection was considered very slow and notoriously unreliable. Two faster connections to India, one over land and one underwater, had gone into operation only a few months before the letter to the editor was published. For our letter writer, however, the telegraphic connection to Calcutta had already become a matter of course. In his letter, he reports how, after some confusion about the nighttime opening hours of telegraph offices in London, he finally found one that was open. But there, to his horror, was only one telegraph operator present who was surprised by the businessman's request and had to look up the price of a telegram to Calcutta. Now, sir. Calcutta is not an unknown place. I thought it was the capital of British India, and that it was in close and constant communication with the city of London. The clerk in charge at the central office might have expected to know the cost of telegraphing thither and the best way of doing so without a special search. Thus, the letter writer assumed that in 1870, the British and British Indian capitals would have to be in close and continuous telegraphic communication with each other. At that time, it was little more than 25 years since the first shortland telegraph lines had come into operation for public use. In 1843, a telegraphic link opened from London to the town of Slough, near Windsor. And from 1844, the telegraph could be used in America to communicate between Washington and Baltimore. Both were manageable distances of slightly more than 30 and slightly less than 60 kilometers as the crow flies. The first short underwater connection went online in 1851 between Dover and Calais, only to be torn down by the anchor of a fishing boat shortly afterwards. And yet, by the early 1870s, Intercontinental telegraphy seemed to be something quite ordinary. It's a fantastic development that may even bear some resemblance to our present day. About 30 years after the invention of the World Wide Web, we can hardly imagine life without it. That is a very similar time span to the one that passed between the construction of the first genuinely operational telegraph landlines and the publication of our letter to the editor. In those 30 years, Then, as now, the fundamentals of global communications have changed substantially. Telegraphy and the emergence of a global telegraph network have neatly overturned familiar communication logic. The basic idea behind telegraphy had been worked on for quite a long time. But the technical breakthrough came in 1837, when Samuel Morse and Alfred Vail presented a working telegraph apparatus in New York. And in the same year, Charles Wheatstone and William Fothergill Cook also demonstrated an operational device in London. Both apparatuses did nothing more than translate letters into electrical impulses by means of specially developed code systems. These impulses were sent along an electrical conductor and, at the end, 
retransmitted into readable characters. The code systems used differed significantly. But the basic principle was the same. Information was, so to speak, packaged in electrical current and thus dematerialized. But what exactly is meant by dematerialization? Up to that point, the transmission of reasonably complex messages over long distances was tied to physical transport. That is, something had to move between the sender and receiver physically. A messenger, a letter, a carrier pigeon. This took time, especially if there were long distances or other obstacles to overcome. But now, another logic came into play. Once a telegraph line had been laid, it was possible to communicate along it without losing time. Of course, especially in the early days, there were also a lot of constraints. Construction costs were high, capacities were low, messages had to be short, and at first, only text could be packaged into electrical pulses. This meant that only some content was suitable for telegraphy at all, and other content was lost in this rapid communication. We will come back to this later. But for the moment, the important thing is that telegraphy brought a whole new communication logic into play. Spatial distance no longer seemed to have much significance for the telegraph. The greatest distances could now be covered communicatively at the speed of thought, as some contemporaries phrased it. Others even spoke of an annihilation of space, which telegraphy would accomplish. In view of such assessments, it is hardly surprising that telegraphy spread rapidly from the middle of the 19th century onward. And a global network began to unfold. Initially, national land networks emerged in Great Britain, the United States, and other Western countries. For example, overland telegraph wires were strung along roads, canals or railroads. As early as the 1850s, laying longer cables underwater was possible. For example, this was done in the Mediterranean or North Sea. A decade later, the technology was ready to lay a transatlantic cable and the first partial submarine connection to India. After that, things went from strength to strength, and the wiring of the world took off in earnest. We have already mentioned the two direct links between Europe and India that opened in 1870. In the following three decades, countless other lines and cables were laid until, shortly after the turn of the century, two connections through the Pacific finally went online, thus actually spanning the world by telegraph. The telegraphic networking of the world had thus reached a temporary high point, which also stands pars pro toto for an absolute high phase of globalization as a whole. In the 19th century, this undersea telegraph network's structure primarily reflected Europe and North America's economic and imperial interests. A very decisive role was played by the British Empire, which at this time not only dominated large parts of the world as colonies, but was also the decisive global trading power, thanks to a large navy and merchant navy. Until well into the 20th century, Europe and especially Great Britain were at the center of the global telegraph network. From there, many connections quickly led westward across the Atlantic and almost as soon through the Mediterranean and the Red Sea towards South Asia, then to Southeast Asia and Australia. From about the 1860s, a strong west-east axis thus emerged as the main communicative artery. From North America to Europe in the middle via the Mediterranean, the Middle East to British India, 
the Southeast Asia and Oceania colonies. Along the axis, the volume of communication grew in the second half of the 19th century, while at the same time, communication times became shorter and shorter. So here, we do indeed see increasing networking and a shrinking of the world. But this was by no means the case everywhere. Other parts of the globe that were of less economic or imperial interest or more difficult to reach by telegraph were integrated into the network only slowly or not at all. Latin America, large parts of Asia, and especially the African continent remained rather sparsely connected for a long time. Few cables were laid there, and most high-capacity lines ran via other routes. In relation to the areas on the west-east axis, other parts of the world, therefore, moved further to the periphery in terms of communications over the course of the century. Let's put it in a nutshell. Not the whole world shrank, but only some parts of it. So if one really wants to use a catchy metaphor, deformation would probably be more appropriate than shrinking. We have heard that many areas of the world did not really benefit from the emerging communication routes and remained on their margins. But even in the well-connected areas along the important cable routes, the history of telegraphy is not just a story of connection and integration. Even there, disconnections, detours, or communicative misunderstandings occurred frequently. Remember the letter to the editor? The unknown businessman described in detail how seemingly nobody could help him with his telegram to Calcutta and how he has sent from one telegraph operator to the next. In one telegraph office, he then met an official who explained to him that a section of the submarine cable to India had just been interrupted and that, as a result, the entire connection could not be used. He informed me that the Falmouth line was broken between Lisbon and Gibraltar that it would consequently take five or six days to telegraph to Calcutta, and that his company advised the public for the present to send their messages through Persia by the Indo-European company, whose office was in Telegraph Street. Such interruptions were anything but rare in the second half of the 19th century. The official annual reports of cable companies and government agencies are full of references to them. 1881, for example... The submarine cable link between Great Britain and India failed entirely for more than a month in July and August. Four years later, the cable did not work between June and October. And for the fiscal year 1882-83, the Indo-European Telegraph Department's administrative report recorded the following. The Suez route was either partially interrupted or defective in one or more of its cable sections for nearly the entire official year. And even if our letter writer eventually got his telegram sent via an alternative route, namely the overland line through Persia mentioned by the telegraph operator, these overland lines were at least as prone to errors. The reasons for these frequent interruptions, and thus for the unpredictability of the connections, varied widely. For a long time, the insulation of submarine cables was a technically demanding matter in which a lot could go wrong. Insulations could tear or be punctured by shipworms. Cables laid with too much tension over the uneven seabed could snap. Near the coast, cables that were not properly secured were occasionally destroyed by ship anchors. Especially in the early days of technology, technical ignorance also led to problems. In the 1850s, for example, one of the first transatlantic cables was operated at too high a voltage by an engineer with the telling name Wildman Whitehouse rendering it inoperable, 
Finally, there was also wanton destruction. During World War I, enemy cables were deliberately broken. But it also happened that overland lines were deliberately torn down because people wanted to get their hands on the valuable copper from the lines. This means that interruptions, delays, detours, or even lost telegrams were a routine part of telegraphic communication in the 19th century and beyond. Such difficulties had to be planned for. But, as one is clearly seen in the letter to the editor, among other things, were nevertheless perceived as very annoying. The expectations of many people had already adapted to the new possibilities. And this could also generate many frustrations and problems. In return, when things do not work as planned, telegraphic networking and interruptions went hand in hand, creating an interesting communicative tension. But this field of tension was not only reflected in the communicative deformation of the globe, meaning the fact that some regions were much better connected than others, nor is it only evident in the many interruptions and delays that occurred even along dense routes. Telegraphy also carried a very different kind of tension between connection and non-connection. The telegraph used electricity to transmit information. This required a code system that could be used to convert certain content into electrical impulses and back. There were various such systems, but the so-called Morse code is undoubtedly best known. These code systems were designed in such a way that mainly letters and numbers could be transmitted. Content that could not be meaningfully transcribed into text could not be transmitted for long. This changed only very slowly with the invention of the telephone and the picture telegraph, which played hardly any role in global communication in the 19th century. Text only, and as little of it as possible, please. Telegram style is still a term today and describes a writing style reduced to the most important points. Since available capacity was limited, especially on lines in demand, and telegrams had to be transcribed by hand at various points, the cost of a telegram was usually calculated according to the number of words. Therefore, customers tried to be as concise as possible in their messages. A contemporary guide to telegraphy summed up the need to formulate compact messages. Naturally, there is a right way and a wrong way of wording telegrams. The right way is economical, the wrong way, wasteful. If the telegram is packed full of unnecessary words, words which might be omitted without impairing the sense of the message, the sender has been guilty of economic waste. Telegrams were thus used primarily for concise, factual content, for brief instructions or announcements, for orders or cancellations, or for conveying headlines and the latest news. More detailed reports, background stories, etc. were hardly suitable for sending by telegraph. These continued to be sent by letter, but of course, moved much more slowly than the telegraphic brief. This sometimes led to tense information chronologies. To illustrate this, let's take a look at the Bombay Gazette from British India. In an 1861 issue of this newspaper, we find an interesting example. An article describes the deceptions of an opium speculator who had telegraph messages deliberately manipulated. For some time, past frauds on an extensive scale have been practiced on the electric telegraph wires. A few speculators in opium have caused messages to be most grossly falsified whilst passing through the wires between Galley and Bombay. Specifically, it was about opium prices in China, the most important consumer country. 
These reached the major Indian cities by steamship on the so-called China Mail. On its way from China to India, the steamer stopped at the port of Gale in southern Ceylon, among other places. Since Ceylon was already connected to the Indian network by telegraph, the most crucial price information was then telegraphed from Gale to Bombay to speed up the receipt of the information. At the same time, however, the steamer carrying the mail from China continued to move toward India, albeit at a significantly more leisurely pace. This window of opportunity was now being exploited by fraudsters. An Indian merchant hired two recently dismissed telegraph operators for his own purposes. They cut the telegraph line at a suitable point and connected their own apparatus in between. The Bombay Gazette summarized the fraudsters' actions as follows. They then worked the telegraph to the advantage of their employers by falsifying the original message, which latter they delivered to their agent in Pune, and before the fraud was discovered, which was not until after the arrival of the China Mail steamer from Gal, enormous sums of money were made by the parties in the secret. That is, the two telegraphists manipulated the transmitted opium prices according to the wishes of their principal, who could now speculate at will. Only after the arrival of the actual price data by steamship did the other traders in Bombay notice the fraud. The telegraphists were soon caught and betrayed by their principal, who was eventually sentenced to two years in prison with penal servitude. This is a rather drastic example of how communication chronologies could diverge and how new possibilities could also arise in this area of tension, at least for a short time. Things were usually a little less spectacular, but the tension between fast telegraphic and slower letter communication was also clearly felt in everyday life. When short headlines from all over the world were disseminated at lightning speed, but it could take weeks before the associated contexts and backgrounds were also printed, or when official signatures of a quick telegraphic instruction had to be delivered later by mail. In the second half of the 19th century, Telegraphy significantly contributed to faster, more efficient global communication. It is, therefore, rightly cited as an essential technical basis for the globalization push of the time. It played a significant role in making the world seem like a village to many contemporaries. But that is only part of the story. Telegraphy not only brought steadily increasing global connectivity, unequal network structures and access, interruptions, delays, and redirections also characterized it. Some content was not suitable for telegraphic transmission at all. Disconnections were, therefore, part and parcel of telegraphy. Even in the few examples briefly touched on today, various kinds of tension between connectedness and disconnectedness emerged. For example, the tension between high expectations and inadequate results in reality, the tension between well-connected and poorly-connected areas, or the tension resulting from different speeds at which certain content could be transmitted. Telegraphic communication did not simply mean increasing global networking. Instead, it took place in an interplay of connectedness and disconnectedness, which we can also see in many current globalization processes and yet often do not really keep in mind. If we look at current submarine cable maps, we see that the west-east axis from North America via Europe to Asia also dominates internet communications in the 21st century, while other regions, such as the continental interior of Africa, are still poorly connected. Time and again, essential communication links fail even today. Just two examples. 
In 2008, carrying large parts of the telephone and internet traffic between Europe and the Middle East. And in early 2022, the cable connection to the South Sea state of Tonga broke down entirely due to a volcanic eruption. And the fact that even in the internet age, some content is better suited to digital transmission than others is something you can actually notice in every online meeting. Even beyond global communication, globalization does not mean constantly progressing and total networking, but always includes interruptions of connections, delays, and missing connections in different doses and degrees. Current examples of this are not hard to find. Think of the corona pandemic with its international travel restrictions and collapsing global supply chains. Think of the ever-given accident in the Suez Canal which exacerbated the existing global trade logistical problems. Think of Brexit and the associated supply shortages in the United Kingdom. Think of the war against Ukraine, which made Europe's dependence on Russian raw materials abundantly clear. And finally, think of virtually all forms of refugee movements, which are not only examples of high human mobility, but are characterized by unequal treatment, closed borders, long waiting periods, strict asylum regimes, or even inhumane pushbacks. It turns out, globalization practically always carries connecting and disconnecting elements. This is what makes its character, so we should sharpen our understanding. We hope that the example of telegraphy helps to highlight some of these points. The example of telegraphy, which is often regarded as a globalization technology par excellence. Even here, interruptions, detours, or missing connections play a central role. Thank you for joining us on Global Disconnect. Stay curious, keep questioning, and remember that understanding our interconnected world is an ongoing process. If you enjoyed this episode, subscribe on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or wherever you prefer listening to your favorite podcast shows.